appreciate the presence of everyone. We have a good number present. Hope you've got your Bible, and I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 22. We'll be spending some time in Luke chapter 22 in our study this morning. I want to focus at verse 61. Luke 22 and verse 61, the text says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how that he said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. I want us to look at this phrase that we have highlighted on the screen before you. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. There's something powerful in what Jesus did when he turned and looked at Peter. For us to better appreciate what that did and what that said and what that accomplished, let's back up and look at some background before we get to verse 61. So what has gone on previous to Jesus turning and looking at Peter? The Lord had told Peter that he would deny him. Let's look at this at Matthew chapter 26. There are several references where this may be found. But turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 26. And look beginning at verse 31. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31. Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you in Galilee. And here was Peter's reaction to that. He said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said, surely I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. And so what I want you to see is that the Lord had told Peter, you're going to deny me this very night. We're not going to take the time at this juncture to look at Mark or John's account or even back in Luke. But like in Luke chapter 22, if you've got a marker there, that's where he had told him that you'll deny me even three times. That you do not know me. That's in the background of our text. Later we see, beginning in chapter 22 now, let's go back to Luke chapter 22 and verse 54. When Jesus was arrested, Peter followed at a distance. That's going to be significant in a little bit. That as they arrested Jesus, they're ushering him off to the trial. Notice at verse 54, having arrested him, they led him and brought him to the high priest's house. That Peter followed at a distance, the text says. Peter didn't want to get too close. He wanted to follow. He wants to see what's going on. I want to see what's happening to Jesus, but I don't want to get too close. If they arrested him, they may arrest me too. If they kill him, they may kill me too. Then the text tells us that Peter denied the Lord three times, the text says. Notice this in Matthew chapter 26. Also in Mark chapter 14, but we're going to look at the Luke 22 account because that's where we are, beginning at verse 55. Beginning at verse 55, having followed at a distance, now they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard, and Peter sat down among them, and a certain servant girl said to him, as he sat by the fire and looking intently at him, said, this man was also with them, and he denied him. There's the first account. Saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also were with him. But Peter said, Man, I am not. The second time. 
Look at verse 59. After an hour had passed, between the second and third denial, after an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow is also with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. Three times he denied the Lord, and immediately the rooster crowed. The text tells us that Peter went out and he immediately wept. Now, I want to turn to Mark's account this time. So let's go to Mark chapter 14. Go to Mark chapter 14 and look at verse 72. Mark 14 and verse 72. And the second time, the rooster crowed. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. When he thought about it. You know, something made him think about it. We'll come back to that. But when he thought about it, he wept. But I want to suggest to you that only Luke records this statement found in chapter 22 and verse 61. While all record something about the denial, all record about the warning of the denial, and all record something about Jesus denying him, and then going out and weeping bitterly, only Luke records the look of Christ. Look at verse 61. Back to our text. Back to our text in Luke chapter 16, uh, 22 and verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then, the text says, he went out and he wept bitterly. I want to spend some time this morning talking about the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Put yourself in Peter's place and what would that feel like to you had you done what Peter did? When the Lord turns and looks at you, what would that say? What would that do? There are two things we want to focus on. What that look said, and then secondly, what it did. Let's begin by looking at what it said. What did that look say? When, when Peter had denied and now the rooster crows, and immediately the text says Peter or Jesus turned and looked at Peter. It said something about the knowledge of Christ. One of the questions comes, how did Christ hear what Peter had said? Remember, Peter was following at a distance. Now, he's some distance away. How far? I don't know. But he's following at a distance. He's not too close. He's out in the courtyard. And that's where he denies even knowing, I don't know the man, I don't know what you're talking about. I have nothing to do with this Jesus. So how could he have heard or seen Peter? Linsky suggested to debate it as to how Jesus could be close enough to look upon Peter at this moment. The best answer is that the temple police were just then leading him from the hall of trial through the open courtyard some place of attention until they, he should be wanted again. With his face confused black and blue from the blows that he had received, with Spittleby still defiling his countenance, Jesus looked upon poor Peter. No wonder that look went home. Perhaps he's right. It said something about the knowledge of Jesus. In other words, that look said to Peter, I heard all of that. I heard the denials. I heard the oaths. I know what you did. I know what you did. 
You see, the Lord sees and knows all that we say and all that we think and all of our motives. We, we can justify that statement from one or two passages, but I want to compound that from several references to impact us with the knowledge that God has of all that we do and all that we say. Let's notice when Jesus was arrested, look at John chapter 18 and in verse 4, when, or when he was betrayed. Let's go to John chapter 18 and in verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? What I want you to see is, Jesus knowing all things that would come. There's the knowledge of God. Let's go to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we'll come to this context a little bit later at verse 17. This is when the Lord is inquiring of Peter, do you love me? And the third time he asked him that, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter grieved because he'd asked him the third time, said, saying, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. There is the knowledge of God. He knows all things. Peter would affirm in Acts 15 in verse 8, God who knows the heart. God knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows your motives. He knows the reason you do what you do. Let's go to John chapter 2. There was an occasion in John chapter 2 and in verse 23, uh, or verse 24, that Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus didn't need someone to come and tell him what's going on in the thoughts of man because he already knows what's in the thoughts of men. God knows. The Lord knows all that we say and all that we do and all that we think and our motives. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Everything about us is open before his eyes. When Christ looks at you and he does, it says, I know, I know. I know what you said. I know what you did. I know what you thought. I know the motive behind your actions. Jesus turned and looked at Peter. What did that say? It said something about the knowledge of Christ, but it also said something about the pain of Christ. Peter was thinking only of saving himself. He apparently wasn't thinking anything about how he might be hurting Jesus when he said, I don't know the man, I don't know who he is. You also are with him. Man, I am not, he said, according to Luke's account. I'm not with him at all. I don't want to be identified with Jesus. Remember, he's following at a distance. But that look said, that hurt me. When the Lord turned and looked at Peter, that look said, that hurt me. Peter, you have joined yourself to the tormentors. The very ones you don't want to be a part of. The very ones you don't want to be identified. The, the very ones you don't want getting you. They're after me and you've joined them now. That hurt me. And that had to sink deep into the heart of Peter. What I'm learning from that is our sin grieves God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, if you will. And in verse 29, this ought to be familiar to us because we've been coming through the book of Hebrews. And as we came through chapter 10, we saw this in verse 29, that when we sin willfully after that we received the knowledge of the truth, we just willfully go into sin, verse 26. Here's what we do. Look at verse 29. We trample underfoot the Son of God and count the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified a common thing and insult the Spirit of grace. 
Can you imagine trampling the Son of God under, just walking over Him as if He's just something to be walked over and insulting the Spirit of God? God is grieved by our sin. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. Let's go to the fourth division and look at verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Spirit of God. It's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. My actions, my thoughts, my deeds can grieve God. God's upset. God's pained by what I may say or I may do. Let's go while we're in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verse 6. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God is angered and God is stirred. And what I'm learning from this is that when Christ looks at you, it may be saying, that hurt me. That word you just said, that, that thought you just had, that action you just took, the how you treated someone else, that hurt me. Is Christ looking at you? Jesus turned and looked at Peter and that said, that hurt me. That's what it said. What's his look say about you? Here's a third thing that it says. It says something about the love of Christ. We remember that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul would say, of whom I am chief, 1 Timothy 1 and in verse 15. And at the very moment that he turns and looks at Peter, he's on his way to be sentenced to death, to die for all, including Peter. Who had just denied he even knew him. John 15 says there's no greater love than a, than a man has than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is about to do that for Peter. His look to Peter shows his disappointment because of his love. John 3, 17 said he didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that he might save the world, that he might justify them and save them from their sins. Doesn't mean he doesn't condemn the world. What it simply means is the fact that he didn't come for the purpose of merely pronouncing condemnation. Jesus came with love to save the world, and that included Peter himself. Now what's interesting to me is, let's quickly go to John 21. We're not going to count there because we're going to come back there a little bit later. We've already made a passing reference to John chapter 21 beginning at verse 15 that after the return of Peter, Peter sinned here by denying the Lord and he comes back to the Lord. He's returning as the wording of Luke 22. And after that, Peter was asked about his own love. And he's asked the question, do you love me? And he said, I love you. He asked again, do you love me? And he said, I love you. Do you love me? And he said, I love you. Now, there's a difference in the terms that we'll talk about here in just a moment. But here's what I'm learning. When Christ looks at you, it tells you how much he loves you in spite of what you may have done. Jesus turned and looked at Peter after the, cro uh, the rooster crowed. And it said something. It said something about the knowledge that he had, the pain that he received, and the love that he had for Peter. But now I'm interested and I want to spend more time talking about what it did. It did something to Peter. Jesus turned and he looked at Peter. When their eyes caught it, did something, and what did it do? It made Peter aware of his actions. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. And let's go back to verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word that the Lord had said, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He remembered that from that look. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. 
I want to suggest to you that at the moment of the denial, Peter was only thinking of saving his own skin. What else could he be thinking about? That when Jesus is on trial and he hears someone say, this man was also with him, all he's thinking about, I want to spare going through the same thing he's going through, so man, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. But when Christ looks at him, he suddenly sees the ugliness of his action flashing before his eyes. Look again at verse 30, verse 62. After he remembered what the Lord had said, the look caused him to remember, and when he remembered, he went out and he wept bitterly. I must tell you how inadequate his reason seemed to him now. Whatever the reason was, whatever was going through his head where Peter was thinking, the reason I've got to deny him is because, or I can't identify with Jesus because, that seems so inadequate now. After the look of Jesus. Jesus turns and looks at him, and those reasons just crumble before him. Temptation does this for us. It often deafens the voice of our conscience. When temptation is strong, we ignore the warnings of what the Word had said, what the Lord has warned us about, and what our conscience is telling us we shouldn't do. We often ignore that and yield to that strong desire but knowing that Christ looks should make us well aware of the sin that is in our life. So what did it do? Jesus turned and he looked at Peter immediately after the denial and after the, the rooster crowed. It made Peter well aware of his action, but it also made Peter well aware that the Lord knew what he did. It made Peter well aware of what he had done himself. I come to realize now I've messed up. But he also comes to realize the Lord himself knew. You see, Peter himself is on trial here. Jesus is on trial. They've carried him before Caiaphas. But Peter is on trial. Is he going to stand the test? The Lord's watching. Are you going to stand the trial? Are you going to do what you said you would do? Are you going to cave to the pressure? Is the bottom going to fall out of your faith like I told you it would? And what that look said to, to Peter is, I'm well aware of what just happened. Jesus didn't have to say a word, just that look. I heard that. I saw that. I'm well aware of what you just did. You see, Peter didn't seem to be bothered by the world knowing. And the enemy's knowing. And you say, how do you know that? You remember earlier, look at Luke chapter 22. Look at Luke, Luke, Luke 22, verse 59. He's already denied the Lord two times, and after an hour had passed. After an hour had passed. That's significant. It's not that in a, in a condensed moment of temptation, he denied the Lord three times within 30 seconds. And I'm just wrapped up in the moment. But after an hour had passed, he's had plenty of time to think about that. He's warming himself by the devil's fire. He's out there with the enemies. That's where he's standing. He's keeping a distance from the Lord, but he's standing close to the enemies of the Lord. He didn't seem to care that the enemies of the Lord and the world knew that he had denied the Lord. But he was absolutely crushed when he found out the Lord knew about it. 
Because when the Lord turned and looked at him, the text says, look at verse 62, he went out and he wept bitterly. Again, I want to remind us, the Lord knows what we do. The Lord knows. Let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and look at verse 14. For the Lord will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, good or evil. You see, what that looks sad to Peter is, I'm well aware of what just happened here. And the Lord, in the day of judgment, will say to you, I'm well aware of what you said. You didn't think anybody else knew, but I knew. I heard it. I saw it. Every secret thing will be brought into judgment. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. And notice in Ezekiel chapter 11 and in verse 15, or verse 5 rather, that the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and he said, Speak, thus says the Lord, thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. The Lord not only can say to you, I know what you did, but I know the things that come into your mind. I know what you think. I know your motive. I know what's going on, no matter how private that may be. Hypocrisy involves us doing things that we think we keep from everyone else. But Romans chapter 2, which talks about the hypocrisy of the Jews that God will bring into judgment even the secrets of man. That's what we do when no one else knows what we did. But God knows. Jesus turned and he looked at Peter and what did that do? It made Peter well aware of his action. It made him well aware the Lord knew his action. But it also made Peter well aware the Lord was right. You see, earlier, earlier, that's why we went, looked at the background. Earlier, Peter told the Lord that he was wrong. Let's go to that account in the book of Mark. It's found in Matthew, but it's also found in Mark. So let's go to Mark chapter 14, and let's start at verse 27. Mark 14, verse 27. That's where he said, all of you made to stumble because of me this night. As it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And after I've been risen, I'll go before you in Galilee. And Peter said, even if all are made to stumble, I will not be. Lord, you're wrong. You're wrong. I'm not going to stumble. And Jesus said, Surely I say to you, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Lord, you are wrong. You say I'll stumble, I'll not stumble. You say I will deny, I will not do that. Peter had vehemently said, The Lord, you are wrong. But I'm learning from this text, the Lord was right. Even though Peter found it hard to accept. And while you're here at Mark 14, notice how Peter's having a hard time accepting. All of you made to stumble. I, can't, I just can't imagine that I'm going to stumble. Well, not only, Peter, will you stumble, you yourself will deny me three times this very night. And Peter can't fathom that that's going to go on. I want to tell you, something being hard to believe and hard to accept is not the basis for determining whether it's true or not. I want you to get that point. I want to say that again. When there is something hard to believe 
and hard to swallow and hard to accept is not the basis for determining whether it's true. Peter looks at it and he says, that's hard for me to accept. I'm not sure that I can swallow all of that, so it must not be true. Lord, you're wrong about that. I want to suggest that perhaps the Lord has said something to you that's hard for you to accept. It may be a command God has given you and you say, I have a hard time accepting that. Or maybe it's some requirement that God has given you. Or it may be some promise and you don't see how it's going to be fulfilled. Maybe it's some moral restriction and you say, I, I, don't, I just don't get that. You're hard accepting it. It's hard for you to swallow. I just can't get that down. I just can't accept that. And when the Lord turned and looked at Peter, what that said was, Peter, I was right. I was right. Go back to verse 61. Remembering what the Lord said is the beginning of conversion. By the way, by the way, the Lord said when you had returned, earlier in Luke 22, when you return, meaning Peter needed to be converted. Now, Peter was already a disciple of the Lord, but he needed to be converted. Sometimes we need to be converted. You said I was baptized. You still need to be converted, maybe. Need to change. And what I'm learning from verse 61 is remembering what the Lord said is the beginning of conversion. When the Lord turned and looked at Peter, Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And that's when he went out and he wept bitterly. Jesus turned and he looked at Peter. What did that do? It caught Peter breaking a promise. I don't know of anything more disappointing or more hurtful than when you've made a promise to someone and then you broke the promise and they turn and they look at you and say, but you gave your word. You see, Peter had promised loyalty. That very night he had done that. He had promised loyalty and he failed miserably. What did he promise? He said, I will never stumble. You remember that? That's not all he said. He said, I will never deny you. He said, I'll go to prison for you. And in fact, I'll even go further. I will die for you. You want to talk about loyalty? What loyalty that is. That when the pressure gets on, I'm not going to stumble. When the pressure is on, I will not cave to that pressure. And if they take you to prison, I'll go to prison with you. And if they kill you, I'll let them kill me too. Man, what loyalty he promised. But he failed miserably. And the Lord turns and he looks. And the look says to Peter, I caught you breaking your promise. I want to tell you, Peter was not immoral, not like David. It's not that Peter got caught with a woman. It's not that he was a false teacher. He's teaching error. It's not that he was a complete apostate where he just gave up on the Lord and and he's abandoned the Lord and he'll never be back to serve the Lord again. It's simply the matter. He broke the promise of loyalty. Let me ask you a question. Are you keeping your promise of loyalty? Have you said, in essence, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord? I'm not going to quit. I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you to death. 
I will never deny you. Are you keeping your promise? It's a question, isn't it? When Peter received the look from Jesus, Jesus turned and he looked at Peter. What did that do? It melted Peter's heart into sorrow, verse 62. It melted it into sorrow. Look at verse 62. Then, this was after Jesus turned and looked at him. Then, interesting word. Then Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter's had a lot of time to think. An hour had passed since the second denial before the third. But immediately after the third, Jesus turned and looked. Then he went out and he wept bitterly. I want to tell you that it's possible to be aware, conscious of sin, and not be deeply sorrowful. Sometimes people go willfully into sin. Did you know that? Yeah, I knew it was wrong. I know it's sin. I, and I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm sinning. I know that. But there's no remorse. There may be those who are ignorant of their sin, and then once they become aware of what they had done was sinful, yes, I now know it's sinful, but again they sow no remorse. There is no contrition. Verse 62 again. Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He now grasped the gravity of the situation. I gather for that hour between the second and third denial, he's not getting how serious this is. He's denied the Lord. He's walking around, warming himself by the devil's fire for an hour and not grasping how serious this is. But when the Lord turns and looks, his heart is melted into sorrow. And I want to suggest knowing the Lord's looking at us should melt our hearts. You see, that thing that you just said, that act you just did, that motive that was impure, the Lord turns and he looks and he saw that. That ought to melt our hearts in sorrow. Let's look at a couple of passages, starting with Isaiah chapter 57, how our hearts ought to be melted. This is what the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 57, and notice in verse 15, Isaiah 57 and in verse 15. For thus says the Lord of the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I will dwell in the high and the holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Notice that contrition. To receive the spirit of the humble, to receive the heart of the contrite one. Those who are deeply moved and their hearts are in sorrow because of their sin. Do you remember David when he come to recognize the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba that's gone on for months now before he finally comes to repentance. And Psalm 51 describes that re receiving that forgiveness and the sorrow that he had. And notice in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Christ looks at us and that ought to be melting our hearts. Jesus turned and he looked at Peter. What did that do? I'll tell you what it did. It destroyed Peter's overconfidence. Perhaps we could be like Peter and be a little overconfident. He was very overconfident. Remember what he said, and I don't have to go through the passages. You are familiar by now with ones we've already read. Remember what he said he would never do? I'll never stumble. I'll never deny you. I'll go to prison. I'll die for you. I don't know what you're talking about, Lord, but it's not going to happen to me. These others may, but not me. Oh, Peter was very overconfident. 
Look at Luke chapter 22 and backing up to verse 32. This is before the denial. The Lord said, Satan has desired you that he may sift you as weak, but I have prayed for you. Now that's interesting. English reading of that doesn't give us this distinction, but let's go back to verse 31. Satan has, de, has asked for you. That's plural, meaning all the disciples. The Satan has asked for you, all of you. But then the Lord said, I prayed for you. That's singular, talking to Peter. I'm really concerned about you, Peter. Now, how, you think about how that singles that out. What if the Lord was standing before us and the Lord said, Satan wants all of you, and then he pointed directly to you and said, but I'm concerned about you. And he calls you by name. Probably would sting. But nonetheless, look at verse 32. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, but when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. You're in no shape now, Peter. But the time is coming when you'll be stronger later. He was overconfident at this point. Let's go to John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, Peter was a little more cautious later. Remember that overconfidence? I will never, I will never. Well, John 21, beginning at verse 15, the Lord asked him three times. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, do you agape me? Do you have the highest form of love? And Peter's response was, I have phileo for you. He didn't claim to have that highest form of love. And what I'm learning from that is Peter's a little more cautious now. He's learned a lesson about overconfidence. And the Lord asked again, do you have agape for me? And he said, I have phileo for you. He's a little more cautious than he was. He's learned his lesson, hadn't he? So the Lord then changes the word, then do you have phileo for me? And he said, you know I have phileo for you. Peter is being quite cautious. He's learned his lesson. We come to the book of Acts and we see a changed man. He is confident, but he's not overconfident. And this is when he would be on trial before the Sanhedrin and he would say, we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. And we ought to obey God rather than men. And allowed them to beat him. He is not following at a distance anymore. He is confident. He's a stronger man. He's a changed man. But the Lord destroyed his overconfidence with that look. Don't be so cocky from now on, Peter. Don't be so arrogant from now on. Don't have such confidence that it can never happen to you. And I'm learning a lesson from that when I walk around looking at someone else's sin and say, you know what, that would never happen to me. I would never do that. The Lord's eye may need to catch my eye where the Lord says, don't be so cocky about that. That could happen to you too. The Lord turned and he looked at Peter. What did that do? It kept his sorrow from turning into despair. It kept his sorrow from turning into despair. You remember the case of Judas? How different the case of Judas was from Peter. The text says in Matthew 27 and verse 5 that Judas, when he came to recognize what he did, he went out and hung himself. He went out and he hung himself. His sorrow ended in despair. But the text says concerning Peter that when he came to recognize what he had done, he went out and he wept bitterly. It ended in repentance. How different those cases were. And what I'm learning from that is if you keep on the road of sin, if you're all on the road of sin, that leads to destruction. John 8 and verse 21, Jesus said that if you die in sin where I go, you cannot come. 
Simply put, you can't go to heaven if there's still sin in your life when you die. And we need to let the look of Christ lead us to a change. Recognizing the Lord's turning and he's looking at us. Don't let that lead to despair. Or you give up. Say, I can't do it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. But let it lead a heart to a heart of change and a heart of repentance. Well, the text says the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. What a powerful tool the Lord used. It's interesting that at that moment, though the Lord had said much earlier, he didn't say a word. He didn't have to say a word. He just turns and he looks. That said something. It did something. And here's the question for you and for me. What if the Lord turned and looked at you? Are you standing in the courtyard? Have you been warming yourself for the last hour by the devil's fire? As they lead the Lord away for confinement, more trial, and the Lord turns and he looks at you, what does that say to you? What does that do for you? Let it not lead to despair, but hopefully it leads to repentance if there's something amiss in your life. There may be one more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?